Livestock farming is South Africa's largest agricultural sector, accounting for over 40% of our agricultural outputs, with beef, poultry, pork and sheep farming being amongst the most popular. This week, we share the ultimate guide to breeding livestock in Mzanzi. We're joined by Bertus van Yerden, Chief Economist at the Milk Producers Organization, who gives us a bird's eye view of dairy production in South Africa. Today, Letitia Piers started her natural hair care journey, a new thriving business idea was sparked. And this week, she joins our Agri 101, the owner of Shea by Design, a natural hair and skincare range. And our book of the week is Farming While Black by Leah Pennyman. And our farmer tip of the week comes from organic fertilizer specialist Tapelo Piri. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 113 of Food from Zanzi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm Don Numdu, the manager for audience and engagement at Food from Zanzi, and my co host is Food from Zanzi's head of news, Duncan Masiwa. Hey, Don, it's great to be back, and we'll get straight into it with that ultimate guide to breeding livestock in Mzanzi. Now, we're switching things up a bit this week with three experts sharing the basics of breeding livestock. First, we're joined by animal scientist Sagwadi Ruth Chabalala, who outlines the factors to consider when venturing into livestock production. So, firstly, you can, when you have to decide on which breed you want to use, which species are you using, how productive is it? Is it suitable to your goals and all that? So livestock contains of not only just cattle, sheep, it goes to your chicken, pigs, dogs, and so forth. When you are doing like livestock, you can choose what kind of an animal you can use in your livestock production. The second thing I'm going to look into is the management of the animals that you would have decided on working with. So with management, you can also look into things like the systems that you can use. It can be intensive systems, um, it can be extensive ones, or you can mix the two, the intensive farming and extensive farming. Where in intensive farming, you farm like in-house. Your animals are in-house and then extensive, they are outside and a mix of that. And then you can also decide on what scale are you willing to go or if the pocket allows you, you can decide on that. Is it a large scale or small scale? Also, management includes your labor and those kind of things. The third thing we're going to look at is the environment. When you are raising your livestock, the environment that you'll be raising your livestock, which you have to focus on your climate, your seasons, your biomes, your pastures. Like, how are they going to influence your animals from productivity? Like, with seasons, you have to know, for any animal that you'll be raising, you have to know the seasons that it's adapted to or not. In terms of pastures, what you have available, and this also goes back to the systems that, like, for instance, if you're raising your cattle, you have to know the pastures that are available to you that you'll be using in your system if it's an extensive system. You have to know the pastures that you'll be using in those systems. The fourth thing is nutrition that we'll be looking at. In terms of nutrition, in regards to your livestock, we have to know what to feed and when to feed. 
that kind of livestock that you'll be farming with. This includes the age of the animal, the productive state, and those kind of things. Also, considering your environment, you should know what to supplement, when to supplement the feed that you have, what to formulate, what they require and not. The fifth one, be looking at our health aspect, which I think one of the experts will elaborate. And also on the other points that I've mentioned, they will elaborate on them. Your health is very important and it's mostly neglected by other farmers. Here you have to look for your pests, different diseases that you'll be exposed to handle such kind of things in terms of vaccination, treatment and other things that you might encounter in terms of the health department. With the other things that I've mentioned, these things, they work hand in hand in your livestock production. They assist you to maximize your production. So if you use them in correlation, they will help you to maximize your production in every province of our country, regardless of where you are. If you use them and do research on the maybe like instance environment of where you are, it will assist you in that regard. You have to have resources like for your water, soil and also capital. Marguerite van Niekerk, who's a lecturer at the Alsenberg Agricultural Training Institute in the Western Cape, describes the different regions to farm in South Africa and the livestock best suited to farm in those regions. Maybe it's a good idea just to sort of roughly describe some of the areas that we have. The Western Cape, for example, we've got cereal grain, so there's harvest rest that farmers can use. But the rest of the country, for example, the big part is the Karoo, which is a very semi-arid, scarce vegetation and obviously... Cattle won't do very well there because of the scarce vegetation and sheep, obviously, they are better at finding grazing than cattle. Then in the northern parts, we also have the subtropical, the Limpopo. For example, their goats will do very well because they can actually handle harsh temperatures way better than sheep and cattle. So that's your environment and climate is important to take into consideration. Your animal, I don't want to say there's a better breed. There is no best breed. It's just each animal will perform at its optimum if you use it, what it was bred for. So if you think of Mo Farah and Usain Bolt, they're both brilliant athletes, but they both have their specific item that they are good in. Nguni, for example, I love Nagunis. But if you are selling your wieners to the feedlot, if, you, if that's the way or the farming production strategy that you want to follow, just make sure your feedlot will buy in Nguni because some breeds, there's, the feedlots do not want to buy because of the poor feed conversion. So then, therefore, they would rather take in something like an Angus or the British breeds or European breeds. But if you're on an extensive farm and you've got plenty of grass, local indigenous breeds like Nguni or Bonsmaras or Afrikaner, they will obviously do better. And we also have a vet that will speak about tick resistance. That obviously also is a huge factor. Some breeds will be better for tick infestation and all that kind of things. I can maybe later elaborate a bit on production strategies. So if you want to finish your cattle off on the felt, Obviously, felt is your cheapest way of finishing off compared to feeding in a feedlot. That also will play a role on which breed that you want to choose. So lastly, maybe a few things on the sheep. If you are in the Karoo areas, the Eastern Cape, semi-arid, obviously a wool sheep can also help there because in the dry seasons, then at least you can still have wool during those drier periods. Duny Merinos and Dormers, these breeds are maybe better, especially the Dormer for the Western Cape. The Dormer is a sheep breed that eats a lot. They're a heavy breed, but they want to be fed, so they will probably not do well in a harsher or a semi-harsh environment. 
And the Dorper, as you all know, they do very well in the harsh, low rainfall or dry western and northern Cape areas. Definitely make sure which breed, and like Bacardi spoke, he did a lot of research and it's very important to make sure. Look at the farmer next to you. If he's doing well, obviously, you can follow his footsteps and maybe choose similar breeds or look what other people are doing that's successful. I also agree with that. That's a very good and valid point. Another important aspect new farmers must consider is ensuring their livestock is in good health. Dr. Raisi Bekakana, who's a technical vet for ruminants at MSD Animal Health, explains why this is so vital. A farmer's profitability is in healthy animals. So remember, if an animal is unhealthy, it will take all its energy towards getting healthy again and it won't actually be in production. So it means that it won't give you a calf. If it's a feedlot, it won't grow. If it's a chicken, it won't grow, it won't lay an egg. So for an animal to be in production, you need to make sure that its bodily systems are maintained. Then whatever excess energy it has, it takes towards um, production. Dr. Kikana also highlights the basic steps farmers should take to ensure that their animals are healthy. The most basic thing that we believe in as animal health um, practitioners is that preventing diseases is a lot more efficient and cheaper than actually treating. So the first big thing that we advocate for is vaccinating. So I had a couple of the farmers say that if you're in an area, speak to your neighbors and they'll tell you what to do and what to protect against. And as well, speak to your local vet as well. I mean, as much as we get trained as vets, we don't know each and every little town in South Africa and what each town needs. For instance, if you're farming with the European sort of breeds in further north, your vendor area where it's extremely hot, it's extremely humid. Your animals are at risk for eye infections, they're at risk for pneumonia, they're at risk for all the tick-borne diseases you can think of. Just to link the, to the topic that we're speaking to about today, uh, the different regions affect your, your animal's health as well. The other important thing as well is to uh, deworm your animals and treat them for ticks. So remember, worms in their physiology, they are parasites. So they take from your animals to give to themselves. So if you don't take care of your worms, it means that a proportion of your input costs, uh, your feeding, your, your water, everything goes towards feeding the, the parasites, which are the worms. So if you don't take care of those and prevent those from happening, and rather wait to react afterwards, it's going to cost you a lot more to fix the damage than it would have cost you to prevent the damage. How does that saying go? Prevention is better than cure. And I guess it's the same practice when producing livestock. Now for more information on this topic or how to start out as a livestock farmer, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za. Thanks, Duncan. And great hearing from our experts, animal scientists, Sagwade Chawalala, Marguerite van Nikker, lecturer at Alsenberg Agricultural Training Institute in the Western Cape, and Dr. Raisibe Kekana, technical vet for ruminants at MSD Animal Health. We now switch things up from the 101 of livestock farming to dairy production in Mzanzi. We're joined by Bertus van Heerden, chief economist at the Milk Producers Organization, who gives us a bit of a bird's eye view of dairy production in South Africa. Welcome, Bertus van Heerden, chief economist at the Milk Producers Organization here to Farmers Inside Track. It's great to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a Pretoria boy. I support the Blue Bulls as all Pretoria boys do. Um, <laughs> I studied at the University of Pretoria. I'm an agricultural economist by training. And I've been doing the economist job at the NPO now for the past two years. Tell us a little bit about the organization. What is the vision of the Milk Producers Organization? What do you do exactly? We want to create a competitive and a sustainable dairy industry where there is value added for the farmer, but also where the farmer can unlock value for themselves. You know, competitively, we're talking about making sure that we add some value to enable the farmer to be able to compete on the international market. 
economic and environmental sustainable practice to promote that. And then lastly, obviously, to make sure that we produce a quality unprocessed milk from which the dairy products then is manufactured in South Africa. Now, what's the state of dairy production in South Africa currently? It's actually doing very well. We are easily able to produce enough unprocessed milk for not only for South Africa, but for the customs union as well. We're actually a net exporter of dairy products. So if you look at our exports and you add to that sales to the other Saku country members like Lesotho, Eswatini, Namibia and Botswana, we produce enough you know, for them. And in that process, we are then a net exporter of dairy products, which obviously put us in the category of that we are self-sustaining. That definitely sounds like a much better outlook than what I had previously. Just to sort of elaborate on that a bit, if we can go back to the start of 2020, you know, with the hard lockdown, despite all the challenges there, you know, people that still had to work in the dairy parlors, in the manufacturing factories, obviously at the retail stores, the value chain was able to provide enough product on a daily basis for the manufacturers to get the dairy products out onto the shelves of the retailers. And we kept that route to market open. And I think that's a big feather in the cap of the South African dairy value chain, basically. Farmers have been squeezed by an intensely competitive, deregulated marketplace and also the worsening impacts of climate change induced weather extremes. And this is obviously a cross-board in the agricultural sector. But what is the progress that's been made in addressing these bottlenecks, specifically when it comes to dairy production in South Africa? We've got to get a bit of background to that. You know, the South African farmer in general, and specifically a dairy farmer, with no problem with competition, as long as it is fair competition, and as long as the playing field is level. The South African farmers, they prefer to operate in a deregulated market, and we've got no problem with competition within that sort of environment. However, there are five funds that is used to somehow subsidize costs, either at farmer level or at manufacturing level. And in that process, they've got the ability then to export their products lower than normal price. That's where we've got a problem with. For example, in 2017, under the Common Agricultural Policy, 41 billion euros were paid to farmers. In 2020, that number jumped to 59 billion euros. That's a jump of about 15% per year from 2017 to 2020. So obviously that puts them in a different category from where we sit is creating an unlevel playing field. That's where we've got a problem with, and we need to find a way to address that. But with competition, just in general, as long as it is fair, we've got no problem with basically that. For example, you know, just the cheese exports that we did see recently from the Netherlands, some other European countries as well. If you take the price at which the product was exported from the exporting harbor, the price there, if you would calculate back and you would say, right, they're going to need 10 liters of milk to produce one kilogram of, for example, cheddar cheese. This is just a general sort of calculation. If you take then the, the milk cost of the 10 liters, that 10 liters does not even pay for that price of that kilogram of, of cheddar. So obviously, there are, there are some ways that they are being subsidized because then there's no margin for the manufacturer. There's no margin for the packaging for the transport, for the agent that is doing the selling, you know, and so forth. That doesn't make sense to us. We need to address that. Just in light of all of that, and specifically refocusing it more to smaller producers, Mzanzi's primary dairy industry is currently the third largest agricultural industry in South Africa, providing a sustainable living for thousands of small and large-scale producers across the country. 
what's your message specifically to new or aspiring dairy farmers in Mzanzi? Yes, I think this is not only in for agriculture or for dairy. Business in South Africa is tough. We are faced with a largely dysfunctional government. You know about electricity problems. It's costly. It's unreliable. You know, roads is creating additional costs in terms of transport. So let's call it the fixed infrastructure in South Africa is really a challenge. And one can go on about that and, you know, really you know, get yourself into a negative sort of you know, frame of mind. But the simplest example is that the population growth in the world, we're currently sitting on 7.8 billion people. We'll be growing to 9.8 billion people in 2015. That's a growth of 25%. More people will require more food. So in that sense, in the agricultural space, in the primary sector, we're sitting good action. The fact of the matter is the market will be there. We just need to be able to understand that market will obviously change in the next 30 years. Preferences will, will change, has been changing, and will keep on changing. And we must make sure that we can provide within that preferences still for the consumer in terms of then specifically dairy products. Now, on that note, and specifically looking at the number of farmers that are producing dairy in the country, it has reduced drastically. How can this reduction be explained? Could you just take us through that? We need to get a bit of a, a broader background. If you look at an economy, there's a primary sector, like the mining industry, agriculture, fisheries, and forestry. That's typically your primary sectors. Then you get your secondary sector, the manufacturing, processing, and so forth. And then your retailers, and then obviously your services like the banks and so forth. In the primary sector, it is very typical that economies of scale drives the processes. It just happens over time. There's new technology in which they can either, you know, mine a ton of gold or whatever. So that is something that we understand that that happens typically in the primary sector. And we're not worried about that. Typically in the farmer value chain or in the dairy value chain, what we do not like, because in that first instance, the economies of scale and the competition happens at the same level of the value chain at the same level. So that is where they then, where they compete. Once you go down the value chain downstream and you're getting pressure from the downstream role players based on the fact that they can import the products at a cheaper price. And that cheaper price creates an environment where they push the farmer price down. That's a problematic uh, situation. And we need to find a way to address that. And the NPO is on a wide front, busy to mobilize organizations, to mobilize government, to recognize this problem and to appoint a commission to look into, let's call it the dairy value chain business model, because there is something wrong there and we need to rectify that. So we understand the reducing numbers by the extent to which farmers exit the industry because of low-priced, unfair imports. That's a problem. I can hear your passion in terms of you know finding ways to sort of figure out a turnaround with this. And that's definitely something that we'd love to follow here on Farmers Inside Track as well. As we close the discussion, we see so many new era farmers coming up, beginner farmers in all industries, commodities, stepping into the sector. What message do you have for them in closing as we um, wrap up the discussion? You know, in agriculture, farm businesses are built over generations. This doesn't happen quickly. And in farming or in agriculture, success is spelled with five Ds. Define your goal or goals, your desire to achieve those goals. That's where the passion comes in. Discipline. You can look at all the big business leaders there. All of them got a very specific discipline. Determination. You've got to be determined to achieve that goal. And then lastly, do the extra mile. 
And if you spill success with those five Bs, I'm sure that your farming business will thrive. Great having you, Bertus van Heerden, Chief Economist at the Milk Producers Organization. Next up, the day Letitia Piers started her natural hair care journey, a new thriving business idea was sparked, and this week she joins our Agripreneur 101 as the owner of Shia by Design, a natural hair and skincare range. Letitia, we know the time that you went natural, your business Shia by Design was born, but what gave you that extra push to get started? I live in Eitzig at the moment. I'm a daughter of a single mom. And I have two siblings, an older sister and a younger brother. I started this business while I was doing my MSc at UWC for 2018. Started this business with a little bit of leftover bursary money. My mom was single parent during that time and I just thought that I needed to start something to help her out. Since I had the leftover money from my bursary, I thought, let me use this money and just try and make it grow. And I went on two years later to do my internship at CNB, and I'm currently working in my profession as a scientist. Where I manufacture my own hair and skincare products. My products are all safe for kids as well. Everything is all in one because my range can use from hair to toe. It's really been a journey with this business, doing it part-time and doing my work full-time as my internship and now my current job. But I started it because I started my own natural hair journey. I always had ladies contacting me, asking me what I think they should be using for the natural hair. Since I went to a lot of markets trying to find different products and also became more familiar with going to markets, local markets. In Cape Town, I was able to look at other brands and see what they have and what they're selling. With my scientific background and my research background, I just decided to try and go and research these things myself. I found a good supplier for Roche butter at the time, and that's the base of all my products. And then I decided to tailor make the Roche butter for each lady's specific hair care needs. And that's how the business started. What keeps you motivated and inspired? But my why is my family. Being able to give them a better life definitely why I do this. That's a community, being of service to them, bringing them a cost-effective but quality product. And that's my why. And then also my future family is my why as well. Financially, it hasn't always been easy for us and the business really helped us out a lot financially. I recently started an NGO called Gift Pads where I actually donate boxes or packages of sanitary products which include toothpaste, face cloths, sanitary towels of course to girls in Kalkfontein and in Ravensmead. A portion of my profits goes towards that initiative. That's now my why as well. Just leaving a legacy for my children now. Please share some tips or pieces of advice for aspiring agripreneurs who may want to follow in your footsteps. Starting out was really a tough journey. I wish I had someone who I could bounce information off of or could advise me. So one thing I would really recommend, get a separate business account from a personal one. There's definitely one thing I didn't do when I started. I registered my business in August 2018 and I started the business in April 2018. And for those months in between, I used my personal bank account to do my business with. It was a bad idea. So in order for you to get a business account, you need to be registered. So that's one reason you need to get registered. There are various different bank accounts that provide support to small businesses. So I would definitely recommend that you use those as an option. Do your research on the various types and then definitely get this business account. You can keep your personal and business type separately and don't use the money and kind of transfer whenever you feel like it. 
pay yourself a salary every month so that you have that consistent income as well to your bank account so that you can maybe if you want to apply for a loan for your personal stuff as well in the future it'll definitely be helpful for you in the future thanks for joining us Leticia Pierce she's of course the owner and founder Shia by Design now before we let you go next up our book of the week is Farming While Black by Leah Penniman the author's objective is to connect people of color back to the spirit of the land The book includes a little bit of everything any black farmer or aspiring black farmer could possibly need. Terry Ann Browers, winner of Food for Mzansi in the Elizabeth Citizen Journalist Program and is also now part of the Food for Mzansi team and Yarn Farmers Inside Track, reviews this book for us. Hi Dawn and Duncan. Today I will be reviewing the book Farming While Black by Leah Penniman. The author's objective is to connect people of color back to the spirit of the land. The book includes a little bit of everything any black farmer or aspiring black farmer could possibly need. The author speaks about the fact that some of the most valued and sustainable farming practices have roots in African wisdom. With 16 insightful chapters, the book explores the practical and business aspects involved in being a black farmer. Some chapters include finding land and resources, planning your farm business, restoring degraded land, feeding the soil, as well as crop planting and seed keeping. These are but a few of the amazing topics explored in this book. Throughout the book, the author includes what she calls uplift sidebars. These sidebars are there to help elevate the wisdom of the African diasporic farmers. This book is really special as it teaches the fundamental acts of growing food and growing community. It also reminds black farmers that they are the pioneers, trailblazers and visionaries of farming and agriculture. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring and that's an ideal worth preserving. Right through all departments and companies within the VKB group, we know that farming is not just a job. It's a way of life. Let VKB help you in all aspects of the food value chain by efficiently reducing costs and optimizing value. Follow VKB on Facebook or vkb.co.za to find out how VKB can help you. VKB for the love of the land. Sounds like a must read dawn. Now remember, if you'd like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion of your own, feel free to email us on info at foodfromzanzi.co.za. Now before we let you go, our farmer tip of the week comes from organic fertilizer specialist Tapelo Piri, who tells us why today's farmers need to focus on the consumers and the environment. I greatly believe that the future of agriculture is in the hands of farmers. Therefore, going forward, I think farmers need to pay great attention to the health of their soils. Secondly, I believe that farmers should explore different methods and techniques around sustainable agriculture to benefit themselves and to benefit their customers and the environment at large. And lastly, moving to sustainable agriculture and the use of organic fertilizers can help us all in playing a huge role against the food crisis the health crisis and the climate crisis as to ensure that a sustainable world is built for the future generations one farm at a time and our farmer tip of the week from organic fertilizer specialist Tapelo Piri brings us to the end of this week's farmers inside track proudly brought to you by food form zanzi Now for daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who really go above and beyond to feed South Africa visit foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook Instagram 
YouTube and of course Twitter. Plus don't forget to catch our weekly sessions on all things farming on Twitter Spaces and we call that Gather to Grow. That's right and remember if you love this podcast please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers and be sure to also check out our sister's publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. But from me Duncan Masiwa Donumdu and our producer Megan Funderfent and the rest of team Food from Zanzi have a great week. What joins a continent? But its continuous flow over mountains through rivers in the rhythm of the land. What ignites its future? But the promise to fulfill to protect and grow the very life of tomorrow. This is why we do what we do under the African blue. Corteva Keep growing.